1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Phil, I can already tell this is going to be the most peaceful, tranquil, 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 calming, relaxing relaxing podcast we've ever done because it's just me and you, Phil. No JB. So uh, hands gently in and <laughs> pod on three. One, two, three. Pod. pod. Yeah, the Egg Chasers rugby podcast after round 21 of the Aviva Premiership and Pro 12. And there's all sorts of stuff to talk about as we head into the final week of domestic rugby action. Plenty more talking points besides all without JB, who is in Marbella. We just tried his phone and didn't get any response whatsoever. We're not not too surprised about that. Not at all. Knowing JB, he's probably drinking a a cranberry bellini, watching the sun go down in Marbella. (laughs) we can make it feel like JB is there uh, because we have got a virtual jB <laughs> which I will I will make sure gets included in the podcast at various points I mean he, he does a lot of ranting and he does a lot of talking he talks a lot of sense from time to time um, but most of all you know JB for just saying let the boys play let the boys play oh let the boys play <laughs> just let the boys play so, uh, <laughs> there we go uh, you'll hear plenty of that now uh, there's some absolute treats in store on the podcast today but I know where I want to start and that is it's not it's more than just the result it's just the whole organisation the whole club Exeter Chiefs there's some they're just special that was a special performance in their away win at Saracens they're a special club yeah absolutely shocking performance I think all of us
2: Uh, Shocking in the good way. Shocking in a a very good way. (laughs) In a very good way. Uh, All of us predicted Saracens to win. Shocking because of the end result, but Mm. also shocking because the manner in which they did it. They went out and matched Saracens up front and ultimately beat them up front. That um, rolling maul that led on to Thomas Waldrum's cannily taken try. Oh,
1: yeah. Um, All his years of experience for that one, dotting it down at the base of the posts. But from
2: a rolling maul that started 30 yards out and... Gain 20 of those yards and then just the big ball carriers that they've got, Waldrum Ewers, um, that, that pack, that front row that they've got doing all the damage. Very, very impressive.
1: We'll get into the ins and outs of what it means for the final week of the season and the permutations and all of that. We've got our resident stat man, Phil, he is here, so he'll, he'll give <laughs> us all the information on that. But I just look at Exeter Chiefs as a, as, as a club and I was thinking this, if, if I had to explain Exeter Chiefs to someone who's a football fan, I don't know if there's any football club that you could actually say they are the rugby equivalent of? Because I thought about it and I would go, well, would it be Stoke or Swansea who came up out of the lower leagues, built a new stadium, got really great fans and have established themselves in the top flight? But what Exeter have done that no football team's been able to do, and maybe this is because of the salary cap and everything, or maybe it's something special down at Exeter Chiefs and Sandy Park, but what they've done is they're, they're managing to get in with the elite and in with the big clubs that have always been in the, in the top flight. Yeah, I
2: don't think there is a football club. And partly the salary cap and conversely the lack of a salary cap in football and the pressure and the financial um, financial impetus that's put on staying mm. in the top flight. The most important thing is just to buy players in who can do a job in the top flight, whereas Exeter have done the opposite way. They've uh, brought a few players in, but none on really big books. No one who's going to kind of... Change that team mentality, but they've built it around good, solid young players yeah. and doing the basics right. And the way that Rob Baxter has got them playing rugby
1: is absolutely superb. <laughs> really good to watch. Do you know what I loved about Rob, ba- Rob Baxter's post match um, assessment? He said, actually, whether we won or whether we'd have got, whether a Saracens had scored at the end there because they were pressing towards Exeter's line, he said, do you know what, it w- wouldn't change because um, the performance was what I wanted. He is he's more than any other head coach. And I think he he's performance orientated and i think a lot of head coaches would do well to to look at that model because you know on any given sunday or saturday you will win or lose but the way you go about it is is the bit you can control yeah and there was a marked
2: difference between his reaction during the game and then at full time and richard cockerel oh yeah he is feeling the pressure you could see it Every try that went over, he was punching the air, jumping out of his seat. And at the final whistle, he was really like fist pumping, really going for it. You could see that meant a lot to him, a lot to the club, a lot to the players. But it also possibly meant that he's in a job next next season. Because if they'd failed to make the top four and if Wasps had won that game, they would have uh, had a real uphill challenge to actually, actually make the top four. Then he might not have been... The head coach next season.
1: I was looking down the 15s and going man for man, which Exeter Chiefs do you take over Sari's players? And probably Ewers over Kelly Brown. Yeah, uh, I go for that. Waldrum over Jackson Ray, Dean Mum over Maro Itoji, Henry Slade over Chris Wiles. Although Chris Wiles has been absolutely awesome uh, all, season, superb all and, season and was again. But I guess the point is they went away from home and again, they, they are better than the sum of their parts. And I think it would be a brilliant thing for the Aviva Premiership, but obviously a brilliant thing for Exeter Chiefs, for a, for a club like that, who go about the, their work in the way that they do to reach the top four, whether they will or not. Well, that's all up in the air. Exeter Chiefs had to win, but all possibilities are still open. Well, Leicester, you mentioned Richard Cockrell, that, that, what a shift they put in as well. Yeah, again,
2: we all predicted Wasps to win. We all got it wrong. And again, it was the manner of the performance that shocked me because Wasps were top try scorers in the Aviva Premiership. Yeah, They no longer are because Northampton had that big win against Wales. Fact! Um, but they didn't score a try. And Leicester scored three good tries. And we've seen it before when Leicester have actually tried to play a bit of rugby. Mm. They tried to do it at Harlequins earlier early in the season and came well and truly unstuck. But this, they got the platform right they played at the right time in the right areas and scored some good tries and thoroughly deserved the win, I felt.
1: Ben Youngs is quite a cheeky player on the pitch, but he was quite <laughs> cheeky. So they, they did the toss live on the telly. Captain Bantos! Uh, Haskell <laughs> and Ben Youngs did the toying and toss. Then, and then Ben Youngs went, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game. we uh, there's 32,000 people. We're bringing our 18,000 Leicester fans down the road. <laughs> it was like they, they, there was there was this real niggle between these two clubs now. I mean, they yeah. were they were two big stalwarts of English rugby, but a new rivalry has has well and truly emerged, doesn't it? To rival Northampton Leicester, definitely. When me and you, Tim, went to watch
2: um, Ulster play Leicester mm-hmm. earlier on in the season, it was shortly after the Wasps moved Coventry been announced, and there was people there complaining because. They know people who have had season tickets for 10, 15 years who come from Coventry and just drive the, whatever it is, 30 miles down the road, 20 miles down the road to Leicester. Yeah, That did make it more interesting. A bit disappointed by Wasps. We've been talking up their pack all season yeah. and talking up the c- controlling effect of Andy Good, And I just thought neither quite works as well as it it has been doing for the the rest of the season. I thought the, the Leicester pack was superb throughout.
1: Guys like Parling coming back and Ayers are coming back, all, all ready to add to Mullapola and Dan Cole, who's now firing on all cylinders. It's yes doing what Leicester do, isn't it? They always they're so predictable. We could have said this is what's
2: going to happen. It's in their hands, which you can't say about extra and Saracens because they're one point ahead and they've got more wins than Extra and Saracens. If they get four points regardless of the... All right, right re- rewind, because, because
1: like, yeah, yeah, so go, go on, T- lay it down, how it's going to happen. Okay, so
2: Northampton Saints, 76 points, definitely qualified, definitely home semi-final. Fact! And we'll definitely be playing the team that finished in fourth. Bath, 70 points, definitely qualified, definitely home semi-final. Fact! And we'll definitely be playing the team that's finished in, th- finishes in third. Fact! <laughs> All right, cool, with you so far. Leicester are on 64 points. If they get a four-point win at home to Northampton Saints, they will definitely qualify. Fact! Because they've got more wins. Because they've got more wins. The way it goes. And the best anyone would be able to do would be to equal, equal their points point. tally. Right. Both Exeter and Saracens could potentially, with five-point wins, equal their points tally, league points tally, but then Leicester would have one more win. Then, in fourth place currently, are Exeter Chiefs, who are on 63 points with 13 wins, who are tied with Saracens, who also have 63 points and also have 13 wins. So
1: let's assume both get five-point victories next week. Well, then it goes... They'd both be on 68 points. Yeah. Both have the same number of wins. Yeah. But currently, Exeter have a
2: three-points-different advantage over Saracens. However, Saracens play London Welsh away and Exeter play Sale at home.
1: If you had to put... Red or black in the casino, you'd put your money on on Saracens. Saracens with positive. a th- with a three point cushion for Exeter. That's not going to be enough. So, but it's Exeter or Leicester. Um, Saracens
2: will go through. Saracens will get a five point win. I'm pretty yeah. pretty confident in saying that that already. So they will definitely be on sixty eight points. And then it's just whether Leicester can win, and if they win, they go through. And Exeter again, you'd expect them to win. So it's it really relies on, on Leicester. It's all on Leicester, yeah. If Leicester win, they go through, and Exeter Chiefs most likely, unless you can put 50 points on sale, which they did at the back end of last year, but mm. it's it's a more difficult fixture, and Exeter could go out. I think, like you said before, Rob Baxter would still look at this season as a big positive. Absolutely. They're young players. And
1: let's rewind. Rewind <laughs> to the start of the season. What was everybody saying? There was predictions in newspaper before the season of Exeter finishing ninth or 10th. Yeah. Eleventh, yeah. I think, even in one case, because they were wow. like, they, they, you know, it was like, how are they going to get by with all these kids? But what you've actually got is Sam Hill, Henry Slade, Jack Knoll. Mullet Hyphen Mullet Hyphen What seriously? <laughs> you He had a really good game, Luke Luke dickey against Saracens. Really abrasive and loads of ball carries and tough. But I, I can't. He looks like something off. Gra- <laughs> you know, in Grand Theft Auto, when you go out into the you go out into the countryside, he looks like someone you find out there. <laughs> The whole
2: season is building for next season if they don't make that top four. And if they do, having gone to Saracens and beaten them away, they shouldn't fear anyone at all No, because there will not be many teams that do that.
1: Oh, it's exciting. I absolutely love it. Um, A little light um, intermission right now because he's been at it again. The honey badger. Nick Cummins. I mean, I, I'm actually going to lay claim to this. I th- I think we were well ahead of the curve on the Honey Badger. <laughs> we were. We I think we introduced a lot of people to the magic of uh, the badge before he became this household name. And now now he just gets wheeled out by the TV cameras, doesn't he? He I think he's contractually obliged now to do every post match uh, interview. <laughs> and the, now now he's set, he's got a rod for his own back because if he ever doesn't come out and do a funny analogy there'll be a sense of emptiness and real disappointment. disappointment. So I reckon he's in addition to his training, he spends all week going, right, just researching and coming up with another analogy. And he's done it again. So it was a good win for the Western Force against the New South Wales Waratahs, wasn't it? Very good win, really and, impressive win, and ends ten straight defeats by mm. the Western Force. I reckon someone should start. By the way, maybe we should. I'll make a bit of music and we'll have a little sound effect and something, and we'll have the nictionary. That's what I thought of <laughs> for Nick Cummins for all these all these little one liners he comes up with, sweating like a gypsy with a mortgage. And uh, he, uh, one of my favourites one was uh, last year we were all sizzle and no steak, but now we're off like a bride's nighty. <laughs> well, following on from Western Force's win against Waratahs, here was Nick Cummins at the weekend. You've played them twice, you've beaten them twice. Tell the rest of the competition, what's the plan? Mate, <laughs> right, basically, you got to be like a midget in the urinal, you got to be on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen again, right, because I, I'm I'm putting this to you, as I just said, it's now like he's got to say something funny. The pressure's on, you Yeah, think. the pressure's on. I think this it sounds rehearsed, the way that the TV guy tees him up for it. Well, you've played them twice, you've beaten them twice. Tell the rest of the competition, what's the plan? Like, <laughs> right, basically, you've got to be like a midget in the urinal, you've got to be on your toes for the whole bloody thing. Uh, you, might,
2: you might be right. There's only so much one man can do. So, perhaps he's got a team of writers or someone like that.
1: Well, uh, well here's, the, here's the plot thickening, right? Because. I thought I'd heard that before, and I've found out. I've remembered where I heard it before, and I've found where I heard it before. And if he is getting extra little bit of wedge from uh, you know coming up with great little one-liners, then the writers behind Naked Gun will want a slice of that because this is Naked Gun thirty-three and a third. Like a midget at a urinal, I was going to have to stay on my toes. <laughs> Oh Wow, rumbled. Rumbled there, the badge. (laughs) Come on. What are you going to come up with next? Got to keep it fresh. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, while we're staying, let's stay in the Southern Hemisphere for a second because something else that was incredibly entertaining but on the field was Sam Whitelock, the New Zealand and Crusaders second row, who scored an unbelievable try from, what, 60 metres? Well inside his own half and
2: going diagonally as well. Long way he's gone for that one.
1: Inside his own half, the ball was there at a ruck and... He, he gasses some backs with proper pedigree. He hands off, he breaks through tackles. It's one of the best tries the second row has ever scored. Yeah, um, undoubtedly. Let's hear the commentary. It's a first touch of the game. Flatlock. S- right yeah. Set! I really <laughs> thought he was just going to go. What the? <laughs> it is incredible. So long, dudes. That is amazing. Um, and that was in Richie McCaw and Dan Carter's last game for the Canterbury Crusaders as well. Well, uh, uh, last home game.
2: Last home game. Last home game. Last home game. Um, yeah, for both of them. Yeah, I did see something on. Uh, I think it was Fox uh, Australia. Fox Sport Australia that reported it as a, a Sam, Sam Whitelock goes over from close range. <laughs> if, that's, if that's close <laughs> <That's> range, <laughs> I'd like to see a long distance effort.
1: I was trying to think of like other forward, well, actually, like Xavier Chockey for Toulon, the loose head prop, he scored an incredible try as well. Um, yeah. this weekend, handed off three and ran it in from about 40 yards. Yeah, I was, R- really surprising turn of pace for someone so chunky didn't Simon Shaw I was sure Simon Shaw for the Lions scored a, a like a 50 yard try in one of the um, right, midweek games yes yes it was oh have I got it here is this it beautifully done by Simon Shaw yeah who's he got with him that might not need anybody this could be one of the great tries of all time still going what a run from Simon Shaw oh no
0: yeah, this should set it up. Neil Beck. oh, Beck's gonna. Backstab. Oh no, <laughs> Neil back
1: does not score it like Neil back does, taking Sa- the glory. Simon Shaw does 60 yards. Neil back does one, <laughs> <laughs> and, that's ni- and that's how Neil back became the highest ever Premiership try scorer for a forward, which has now been equalled by Thomas Waldrum as well. Oh, um, has it? It's been it's eight, with his, his two tries today or Sunday took him level with Neil back, Fact. and one behind. I think it's Dominic Chapman or. Uh, but the guy from Richmond from in, Richmond in, in a the season, in the very first season
2: yeah. of the Premiership, only tries. I was racking my brain trying to think of Forge tries. There was, um, well, a few by Tom Croft. He's not really not quite the same as a uh, White Lock, who could, does a lot of the hard work, hard oh, Craft. Yeah. The other one. Do you remember Radiki Samo's... Uh, oh,
1: yes! 2011, I think that was. Yeah, yes. in-
2: international try of the year a few years ago yep. from at least 50 metres against New Zealand.
1: Oh, that was amazing. That,
2: that was a sensational try. Radiki Samo at 36, or however old he was then. Age unknown.
1: Here we go, here we go. Radiki Samo. to 22.
0: 22 Pocock.
1: And Pocock does well. Snatched it away from Richie
0: McCaw. Now it's Samo. And big Radiki throws a dummy. Gets rid of one. ridiculous
1: Oh, wow. Amazing. (laughs) Handed off, I think it was Adam Thompson. Thompson. Adam Thompson. Thompson. He hands him off and then gasses and manages to keep Corey Jane and uh, Mills Miller, no, fullback. Uh, Israel Dagg. Israel Dagg manages to keep him off. Yeah. It's incredible. So, yeah, if if you've got another suggestion of a great forwards try, then let us know. We talked about Dan Carter and Richie McCaw, their, their, their careers, for Crusaders at least, being over one person who's now retired permanently, Hugo Monier and Mark Cueto. Yeah. And you sort of have to go, why are you retiring, Ugo, with, <laughs> with finishing like that on Friday night against Bath?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The first one was nice, comfortable running. Um, the second one was a hell of a finish, wasn't it? Mm. Ran over Anthony Watson, and then with two or three players like corner flagging and pushing him into touch, still manages to get the ball down. That was pretty special. And he...
1: I think he's only 31, 32, so he he could keep doing it. I just think when he's got all that time on his hands where he's not training and playing and travelling and all the rest of it, what's he going to do when he really gets to make an effort with all his clothes? (laughs) I just can't wait to see some of the get-ups we see you go in next year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Always looking good. And Harlequin's put up a good fight. Bath were worth their win in the end. Up front and up. I think I mentioned it on the pod last week that Davy Wilson was out for the season, which he wasn't, mm. <laughs> embarrassingly. But having him coming back um, and having the depth in the front row, second row, being able to bring Matt Garvey in either the second row or back row, wherever you want to bring him on, just the impact he can have. It's absolutely incredible. And having the home semi-final, which obviously they've not qualified for the last few years for the, the semi-finals, that that is a big thing. And with that depth, we'll see. But then, yeah, Matt Garvey and Carl Ferns, Oli Devoto coming off the bench. Rob Webber, who was on the bench. A lot of depth. And Sam Burgess. Yes. Looking a lot more at home.
1: Way more carries than anyone. He had... (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's definitely nothing to do with me. Jay. (laughs) Jay Jay JB's clearly in here. (laughs) Let the boys play! Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Jay. But not play that song. Um, Sam Burgess, Burgess, yeah. Yeah.
2: His carrying um, and his defensive work was absolutely superb. Really, really starting to look at home in that number six shirt. It'd be interesting to see when it does come down to the playoffs, whether they will put in someone a bit more experience like, well, pick either Ferns or Garvey or continue with Burgess because he was pretty impressive.
1: Mm. Yeah. I, I thought Leroy Houston had a big game and I loved, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Nick Mullins, the commentator on BT Sports. <laughs> Some of the lines he came up, what did he call Sonotti, Sonotti for Newcastle? It's like a... Uh, some sort of eel. I can't remember exactly what <laughs> like he said. A, was it a conger eel okay, or something like that? But it was it was, it was a brilliant little analogy. Well, he did the same with Leroy Houston. Against David Wilson, a lot. What challenges does he offer you as a as a as a tight head? Um, the moose um, lives up to his name. No, often, no. But, here goes Houston, who is a um, moose on steroids. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Moose on steroids, I love it. He's got um, he's got a brilliant way with words. National treasure, absolutely, I love him. So there, there was one retiring player at the stoop that was Hugo Monier, and at the AJ Bell Stadium, our last home game for Mark Queto, the Premiership's all-time top try scorer.
2: Yes, who
1: cantered in for another one. I know. It, was, <laughs> I had time dead. to hold hands and skip with Tom Brady. Yeah, did you see that? The celebration that was brilliant. I did. Tom Brady, who. How old is he? Because he looks... 26, young. I think. 25, 26. He looks,
2: he looks a lot older than Mark coito does yeah. with his grey hair. He is. He's twi- He's 24. Tom Brady. Tom Brady's 24. Entirely grey. Oh, I, I like the
1: fact he's just letting, letting that happen.
2: But yeah, it, it was quite a good game. There was times when you felt both teams were a little bit weary from the season. But there's some real highlights, like uh, Josh Beaumont's line off Cipriani and then offload for mm. the first try, for the Custer try, was absolutely superb. I he, thought, he's had a great did,
1: season, hasn't he? Yeah, real fine. really
2: good. And deceptively quick for such a, a big bloke. And he is big. Mm. He's six, seven, and 115 kg,
1: something yeah. like that. He, he kind of looks. He kind of looks awkward, and he doesn't have that kind of Pierre spice type athleticism to look at. He's just a no. It's a big lump, though, isn't he?
2: No, I, I actually saw him in the gym, the gym in Didsbury a few weeks ago. Uh,
1: yeah, tell us more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he was having a bit of a rehab session, a bit of a boil. Um, <laughs> he. he is not in bad shape actually. I was quite surprised with his shirt off he's in. Pretty pretty <laughs> hand, pretty handy, Nick. <laughs> Tell us more, Phil. Tell us more, what was his rig looking like? Not not bad at all. I, I thought he was um like quite kind of wide hips, bit of a belly on him, but no. He's in good shape. Probably 10-12% body fat. Good definition on the lad. Looking good.
1: Nice. Good. <laughs> and anyway, who else have you seen topless that you would like to talk about? Uh um, I mean, we're talking about retired players. What, do you remember that scene in the Living Relions, the South Africa one? Oh yes, where Hugo Monier goes in to do the ice bath, and yes. all the rest of the boys that are in there. I mean, there's some big strapping lads in there, but Hugo Monier walks in in just his underpants, and the rest of the boys just go, "Oh my God!" I <laughs> know. Uh, the ridiculous shape that that man is. It was in, is in,
2: is in. Even Tommy Bow was put to shame when Ugo walked in. And Tommy Bow, you know, you know my feelings on Tommy oh, Bow. I know
1: your feelings on Tommy Bow. In fact, in fact, Tommy Bo this might be of interest to you. I don't know whether you've seen the new Aer Lingus plane, have you? <laughs> I'm not Jay. I'm not up,
2: not up on the latest planes.
1: Well, there's an Aer Lingus plane that um, is obviously part of the sponsorship deal with the IRFU, and it's got um, Aer Lingus carrying. Island or whatever and it's got on the on the actual plane itself on the body of the plane it's got a big picture with Tommy Bow they've picked they've picked four players yeah right, if you were going to pick four Irish I, players, oh you've seen it now, I'm just just looking at it
2: but if I was going to pick four Irish players, I'd probably have Bo yeah I'd probably have hea slip yeah I'd probably have Keane Healy yeah and then I'd probably still have Brian O'Driscoll, <laughs> just because he's <laughs> the best <laughs> the best of all time or yeah. Johnny Sexton maybe.
1: Well, they've. I think they've gone. They've gone down the route of picking people that are going to are, are the best looking. In fact, they haven't picked forwards. They've gone for four backs. They've gone for Rob Carney. yeah, handsome chap. They've gone for Tommy Bow, yeah, obviously. They've gone uh, for Robbie Henshaw and Conor Murray. Conor Murray, I can definitely see Mini Mike, Mini Mike, Mini Mike Phillips. <laughs> yeah, none of the ugly forwards. You'd have, th- you'd have thought Paul O'Connell might have made a. Might yeah. have made an appearance there, but I reckon Paulo maybe it's there's no engine and it is powered by Paula Connor. <laughs> he
2: can't be on the outside because he's on the inside. Yeah, exactly. Did you see the big Irish derby this weekend?
1: No, but before that, I, I oh, also sorry. thought, Air Lingus, if you're listening, you should have put Tommy Bow on the wing. You've missed <laughs> an opportunity rather than the body of the plate. But then you can only see him from the top down. You need to have him oh, yeah. plaster him all over. Just, just Tommy Bo, his face on the front. Yeah. With his eyes, the the pilot <laughs> looking through Tommy Bowe's eyes. And then have his whole body there. Yeah, I like that. No, sorry, no, the Irish Derby. Go on, Munster Ulster. Which Tommy Bowe s-
2: scored a spectacular try. Mm. It, it was a good game. It was a bit kind of edgy in the first half. Ian Keatley penalties, who kept the scoreboard ticking over very nicely, particularly behind the slightly um, more dominant Munster pack. Ulster were nine points down with two minutes left. And then they got... A penalty and then immediately from the restart, broke down the right-hand side, Rory Best, Ian Henderson, who we'll come on to in another second, Mm. drew two men, lovely flick out the back of the hand and Tommy Bowe did the rest from still two or three players to beat from 40 yards out and did what he does and scored a superb try. Yeah, And then after that, it kind of flipped a bit side to side, edgy battle and then 10, 12 minutes to go. There was a terrible decision by Nigel Owens. A red card for Ian Henderson. This isn't just your bias uh, for uh, Ulster. I'm certain that JB, when he re- returns and recovers and sees the incident, will definitely support me. That this was a disgraceful decision. And was, oh, it, let the boys play. Exactly. Thank you, JB.
1: And then there's two other red cards this weekend, which I thoroughly do agree with. Just uh, let the boys play. No, uh, you're wrong on on the others. Yeah. Let's take Seremiah by like an exoset missile threw himself <laughs> at the head of Nathan Hughes with his, with his shoulder and head. Let the boys play. Uh, no, you're, no, you're wrong, Jay. No, uh, who was it in Street
2: Fighter that used to do kind of a flying head? Oh head yeah, bike? M Bison. I think it was M Bison. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Seremiah by, definite red card. Ian Henderson got. A red card for basically the same thing. You could argue it was a bit reckless. You could say he went off his feet, but I don't think it was head-to-head contact. Mm. The TV footage is at best inconclusive, but he got a red card.
1: Right at home.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.
2: converted try in the last second mm. to level the score so it was it was a great game slightly marred by that that decision and it will definitely have an impact on Ulster if henderson is banned, if that ban is upheld. I know that they're going to appeal it. Yeah, We'll see what I happens. I don't know if,
1: I I know it's been a couple of years since I've um, played and been coached and stuff, but I remember when I was, before I stopped playing, one of the big coaching points around the ruck we were being told was, was the whole, and you see it in games every single time, you don't wrap your arms around with your arms up at your shoulder height. You, you do hit with the shoulder and then you kind of, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, you get one arm under... And one arm over, so you're kind of doing a judo throw. And I think that's actually when you look at both Seremiah by, and when you actually look at it, it was reckless and it was stupid. But actually, it was part of the way that you're coached to do it. You hit, then you grab and twist. What you're describing there is
2: what's known as a, a crocodile roller app, yes, roll or alligator roll, which in itself is illegal. Because you're deliberately going off your feet at a ruck.
1: It happens every every game, every ruck, Phil.
2: It it does, but it is illegal. And you saw the Jean de Villiers injury last year yeah. against Wales, where which has possibly ended his international career, ended his rugby career, which was caused by an alligator rule. And
1: but it's obviously being coached, and it's obviously it, accepted as a standard part of the game. So where is it in the laws that it's? Not not allowed. It's definitely in the law.
2: I'd looked it up fairly recently actually because I have an argument with someone. Um, <laughs> it's going off your feet at the at the rook is the basis, the base for it because you're rolling onto your back and trying to get them onto their back. But the problem is if someone's legs trapped and you're rolling sideways, well, and we're but,
1: talking big strong men, so I,
2: yeah, the Jean de Villiers, there was Falatau and I think one or two others, and three people basically rolled on, rolled over his leg and folded it inwards at the knee, and basically everything ruptured every ligament a bit of tissue in there so that what you're describing i I do accept it is coached but i think that is possibly something that should be uh looked at a bit more closely than the what henderson did definitely
1: oh but you know what jb would say to that he would actually say let the boys play and he'd be going on about if you just introduce another law that's another thing that the referees have got a police and that means there's that makes the decision at ruck time even more does something need to be done I do think the
2: the crocodile rule you you very rarely see it where it causes an issue, but when it does cause an issue, potentially catastrophic, the rules are there. I think referees just have to referee it sensibly, and if it's kind of one man on one man and there's no um, no harm, it's okay. But it, where it's yeah,
1: I mean you, you hear about um, you know Premiership teams having judo experts going in and and teaching them yeah and doing doing stuff in dojos
2: yeah. But if they're teaching that alligator rule, as you described, that is categorically outside the laws of the game, you would argue it should be penalised every time. Mm. I would say, along with JB, let the boys play. If it's not dangerous and it's not harmful, you don't have to stop every time that it happens. But where there is potential to cause damage, then it should be looked at. And the other red card? Well, the other two. Sorry, sorry, no, the other one, we've we've mentioned the uh, Ceramai by one. Definitely a red card. Oh, yeah. Regardless whether there was intent or not, he flew... Head to head,
1: <laughs> yeah. If he'd if he'd hit me or you instead of Nathan <laughs> Hughes, we'd have been uh, knocked out into next week.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good job Nathan Hughes has got a solid head. So I'll say <laughs> he took it well, didn't he? Remarkably well. Because Sir, Bay, for a centre, he's a big, big, he's strong a, boy as he's well. He's a big lad. Yeah. The other one, the Kvesic one, I do think it was a red card. Yeah, as well. I think, well. So. I think it, it,
1: Ab- that, absolutely no malice or intent. Yeah. yeah.
2: Definitely not, and you could see by Credis' reaction, yeah. he was shocked. And it was it was partly because O'Leary was in the air, partly because he'd lost the ball and wasn't expecting it, and partly just the timing and the force that Credis came through. Mm-hmm. But it was dangerous, very dangerous, because O'Leary went off and, and didn't didn't come back on, and it was without the ball, and he took him through ninety, and he landed on his head, neck, <laughs> Definitely red card. Even Jay would have a, a hard time arguing that. Let the boys play. Yeah, I'm not so sure, Jay.
1: Not so sure about that one, Jay. I was just going to
2: say, did you notice what happened when O'Leary went off with the Irish players? No, because they had a scrum half on the bench, but he didn't come on. He came on later in the game. They actually brought him and Sheridan on, and Noakes went to t- to scrum half, and Geraghty went to ten. Mm. And do you know why? It's because the scrum half was Callum Watson. Who's 18? Anthony Watson's Anthony younger, younger brother and Marcus Watson's younger brother. Fact. Who had been in school yesterday, and it, the, the injury happened after I think it was about 20 minutes, something like that. And it was felt that he he what? Didn't, didn't want to be risked for the full 60 minutes. What? Because what was what's the school relevance? It's like he, knows, he, he, that had, was... he, he hadn't
1: finished his maths homework.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he had to do that on the bench. <laughs> that was that was what um, the director of rugby. Glenn Delaney. Delaney. That's what Delaney said. Well, uh, d- was- he was in school yesterday, so we didn't want to f- play him for the full 60, but he did come on with with 20 minutes to go.
1: Wow. So <laughs> interesting. Yeah.
2: Interesting not to play a nine when a nine gets injured.
1: That's good. Well, there we go. We've we've had a glimpse at Bath's next scrum off. Yes. Yes, because that's what that's what will happen. He'll, he'll do well for Irish, and then uh, <laughs> he'll go to London Irish West. Join his brother. Over there in Somerset. Yeah. Right. F- now, How did this one come about? Oh, yeah. JB had an idea last week, which we didn't have time to put in the podcast, but we thought we'd uh, squeeze it in now. And Phil's done some prep on it. So JB, being a Welshman, wanted to honour the European win of his two countrymen, Lee Halfpenny and Jonathan Davies, who unusually are two guys who both wear scrum caps despite being backs. In fact, now I think about it, I reckon one of the positions where you get scrum uh, scrum hats the least... Is prop w- who actually scrummage yes my
2: thoughts exactly so we're going to do a, a headgear 15 but headgear 15 but the props is one of the most difficult positions to actually come up with them yeah i wore one a couple of years ago when i had a, a cauliflower ear that exploded <laughs> and was hor- horrendous and very very painful just to protect that just to stop it from exploding and filling full of blood again
1: and jb wears a pink one
2: as well that's, that's, not yeah. a, that's not a lie that's, that's a fact he
1: wears lime green boots and a pink yeah, a, and a pink scrum hat
2: which is ridiculous when he's playing prop <laughs> <laughs> it really is in his days as a winger so
1: headgear head 15
2: go on then rattle through some of these I, I struggled a bit on the front row but I, I came up with Matt Stevens, yeah, and I put him across to Loosehead because I know he can play both and sides ju-
1: uh, I know a fact
2: about Matt Stevens. I was at,
1: ba- I was at <laughs> Bath University when Matt Stevens was. Uh, he came across and was at Bath University he'd never played for the university side uh, he was with Bath but he had to get headgear specially made because he had a moped that he used to bomb around Bathon and he couldn't find a helmet big enough. It was on the local <laughs> evening news about his quest to find a helmet big enough for his Swede. <laughs> Fact. So he's in our headgear 15. Uh, alongside a couple of Irish
2: boys, uh, Rory Best and Mike yes.
1: Ross. Yeah. done. A, there's, a f-
2: there's a few Irish in this, uh, in this pack. Um, second row. Uh, I've gone for two South Africans actually, Johan Muller, who played yes. at Ulster, and Victor Matfield. They do look
1: good. Yeah. I, I, now, I, I'm quite often not a fan of uh, the hair out the back of a scrum cap, but Victor Matfield, it kind of works. It looks good. Yeah, he's one of few men who can pull it off. Yeah. Uh, back row, I've gone for another Ulsterman, Stephen Ferris. Yes, synonymous with the scrum cap. I've never seen him without one. <laughs> on the golf,
2: on the golf course, yeah. in the bar, in the gym, <laughs> alongside two tanks, toot toot, Thomas Waldrum. Thomas Waldrum and the Tullow Tank, Sean O'Brien.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, nice. That's a good. That's a good. Sh- I like that. Like the shape of that pack headgear. Yeah, it's,
2: it's pretty solid pack as well. Actually. Into the
1: back, then. It's got to be slim pickings to scrum off, hasn't it? The only one I could come up with was, was Isaac Boss. Yeah, another Irishman. I can't think of another. There must be another. There must be. Help us out at Rugby Podcast on Twitter if we miss someone who wears headgear.
2: Then at 10, I've gone for either Earl Rose or Berwick Barnes. Uh, Stephen
1: Larkham is a a long production line of Australians who've worn scrum caps
2: at fly half. Yeah, Larkham would be a good one. Yeah, put Larkham at 10. He's got Gitto as well. Gitto and Jonathan Davis, I've gone for my centre combination. Yeah, I like that. From the final. My wingers as Geo uh, Aplon and Bruce Rayhanna.
1: Nice. Oh yeah, Rayhanna. He R- was a previous top try scorer in the Premiership as well. Was he? Yeah. One season. Wow. Yeah. And Lee Halfpenny at fullback to make up the full team. Excellent. I like that a lot. If there's anyone we've missed out on, uh, it's synonymous with the scrum cap. Then at Rugby Podcast on Twitter, let us know. And incidentally, there's, actually, so go gone. I was just going to say there's um, an honorary one mention for Petacek.
2: No, that wasn't what I was going to say. I was going to say um, there's been, in recent years for England, two players who have worn the same colour scrum cap who I keep on getting confused. This season has been Jack Nolan uh, Nolan, and Haskell. Haskell, And previously there was um, Moritz Botha and Tom Johnston, both with red. I remember um, someone saying to me one game when those two were playing, God, the work that Johnson has got through in this game. (laughs) As much as both are. Yeah.
1: (laughs) At Rugby Podcast on Twitter, if there's anyone we've missed, and there's been some people that have been getting in touch about stuff we talked about last week. So we were, uh, because the general election was looming last week, I'm so glad JB's not here to talk about (laughs) that uh, this week. Um, Barry Walsh, we were coming up with the Rugby Government And uh, Barry Walsh said Paul O'Connell would be the chief whip and Nigel Owen's minister for justice. Yeah.
2: Although he did get the decision horrendously long, wrong this week.
1: Yeah. And uh, the Toulon chairman, Boujelad, would be the Minister for Finance. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, someone watching the Bath game, Ali Stokes watching the Bath game on Friday night against uh, Harlequins, said, uh, wow, this was after a massive hit by uh, Banners, <laughs> which got a lot of people tweeting in just going, Banners! Turns out Miley Cyrus was wrong. Banners came in like a wrecking ball, not her. <laughs> and also, a really good point by Lawrence Cray on Twitter as well. Nice one, Lawrence, for getting in touch. He said, When did Di Young, the Wasp director of rugby, start getting called David Young? Ever since the move to Coventry, he's been called David. David. Referred to as David. Yeah, God knows. He must have had a word. <laughs> so, yeah, at Rugby Podcast, get in touch with us anytime. So, I'm quite surprised that. There- there's no rest week between now and the Premiership final, yes, it, do you think this is just to finish the season as quick as possible because the World Cup is looming and all the rest of it
2: well they normally they are normally finished by the end of May. that's kind of what they generally do it has changed a bit because you got the rest week with the Heineken Cup final earlier at the start of May. That would normally be consecutive weekends, which I think they've. it's probably sensible because you often get the same teams playing and then you'll have like Saracens a few years, well last year losing two finals or Toulon where they won the Heineken Cup three years ago and then lost to Cast. So I think it's to give those top teams a bit of a break, but they had one kind of two weeks ago now. So they play a month, four four games back to back. I, I don't think it's too bad. It does make it a bit more interesting, though, with the Leicester Northampton. Do Northampton rest a few players? Do they do they play everyone given that they've then got two back to back games?
1: And there's every chance that they'll play against Leicester. Yeah. In the semi final. Yeah. What would you do? Right, you're Jim Mallinder. You and Dorian West are sitting down and you're going, right, how do we approach this one? We've got got a big squad. We can't afford to leave, leave some players. But do we want to just knock Leicester out of the competition? Do we want to assert our dominance? Do we want to make sure we keep momentum? Or do we want to keep players fresh? And do we want to avoid injuries? And do we want to save ourselves for the semi-final?
2: I would almost look at that Leicester team and say, if you had to choose between Leicester, Exeter and Saracens, are Leicester slightly weaker then the other two. If you can get parity up front with Leicester, hold them in the scrum, hold them in the line and they're driving mall,
1: They don't have much in the backs that that threatens you. I don't. Th- I don't think you'd look at it and go, "Who would I rather play in the semi-finals?" I think you you would look at it and go, "How are we going to better get ourselves ready for the semi-final? Is it by keeping a few players fresh and, uh, fresh and keeping the powder dry, or is it by being battle hardened and being ready to go?" Yeah, probably is a bit more battle hardened. Mm. But I think that'd be—I think that's what I'd go with as well. I'd probably pick my strongest team to try and just just yeah. to beat Leicester.
2: Given the other a rest a couple of weeks ago, I would say that if there's anyone who's kind of ninety percent fit, sixty percent going to play, forty percent not going to play, I'd probably rest them. Anyone with little niggles, just give them a rest because one one week off isn't going to lose it. You're not going to lose any fitness there. It's where you start getting two, three, four. You start losing that
1: fitness. If you think about it like a, a sort of cup competition, this is this is just, it's just three weeks, yeah, three games, three weeks. You can rest up, massage all week long. You've done all the you've done all the hard work and you've done all the training. It's just fine tuning, and then it's getting yourself ready for match day. And I think there's more to gain by being battle hardened and like a slickly oiled machine than resting at this stage. Yeah, I'm with you. Bearing in mind, like you said, we had the rest week to uh, last weekend.
2: And you could also say that Northampton, they've just come off a pretty easy win against London Welsh, 46-0 mm. at home. So do they really need a rest? Maybe one or two if they've had a twisted ankle or a big hit or something like that. There won't be many players rested, I don't think.
1: And every Exeter Chiefs fan is nodding along at this point. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. So if we assume Northampton are going to put their best team out, yeah. and Leicester are going to put their best team out, I think Leicester will have the edge in the up front. Yep. Yeah. I'd, I'd go for that in the tight five. Yeah. The ball carrying in the back row. Manoa would. Manoa, Clark. Wood,
2: Clark. And when you've got ball carriers like Dickinson, if he plays, you've got Marath who, who can carry really well. You've got mm. Laws who Hartley. does carry Hartley. Waller or Cobosierro can all carry. Yeah. So, yeah, Leicester tight five just, Northampton ball carriers just. And then Northampton got a bit more flair and a bit more experience with Myler leading the backs. Whereas Freddie Leicester, Burns,
1: though, he, he did, he looked good. He did. He looked really good against Wasps.
2: He did look very good. But I do think Northampton have that little bit extra. Well, I would go with I would go with Northampton if they both had to win, if it was the knockouts. But given that Leicester have to win and Northampton don't, I think I'd actually go with Leicester to sneak it.
1: that would probably, in all probability, squeeze extra Chiefs out of the top four. Most
2: likely. Mm. Most likely. Although if they score 50 points against Sale. Anything can happen. Yeah, the
1: sort of the intensity and the 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 passion that Leicester brought to that game against Wasps was massive. I think you're right. I think I've got a feeling about Leicester. Yeah, it it does mean a bit more to them. I can't call it. It's so I can't. It's so hard to call. I want to see the teams before I would make a call. It will be a special. That's a game I'd love to watch live. The atmosphere
2: will be excellent. I think tickets will be quite hard to come by. It'll be a hell of a game.
1: If Leicester win, then in all probability, whatever Exeter managed to do at Sandy Park, unless it's a massive win against Sale, big points. Yeah, and again, Sandy Park will be rocking. Yes,
2: it will be. It'll be a good, a uh, good bus ride back for for Sale, though. Yeah, last game of the season. Oh yeah,
1: nice long bus ride back. What do you remember about those days? Have you? Did you? What was your best bus journey that you can remember?
2: Ah, we had a, f- a few horrible ones. Red uh, Ruth. Red Ruth was the worst. It's eight, nine hours, something like that. I remember the, the best one was um, going to Launceston, which is a little bit, it's like an hour closer than Redridge. It's still seven or eight hours. Um, and it was kind of a smash and grab and beat them in front of their, their own fan, in front of the, I can't remember what they call it, one of the stands, the Cornish All Blacks, their, their name, um, and beat them with a, a try, not long from full time. And then everyone was like, Right, let's get out of here. And it was <laughs> showers in like five, ten minutes. Bang on the bus, get a few cans in, and uh, and come back. Have you had any good ones? Yeah, good I've, I've just the
1: back. one, the one, the one heading back from Barking last day. Of the se- uh, yeah, last day of the season from Manchester. That was, that was a good old time of it. Really roasting hot day, like a cricket pitch one comfortably and then, yeah, all the tinnies on. But there was the, the, the game we played, Play played the game where you race from the front to the back, climbing over the over the seats. Naked over the top of the seats. <laughs> well, you've got to be naked. It's a health and safety thing. You don't like <laughs> a shirt or a, a pocket snagging in one of the seats. So true, Phil. So true. <laughs> got to be careful. Uh, a couple of other little uh, bits to just mention um, that have made some news. Warren Gatlin using the phrase, hugely worried about George, George North's future.
2: Now, I think this is Gatlin playing some mind games. Do you? Yeah. I think if George North does come back for the last few games and gets another head knock, then he would probably have to have a seriously extended period up to the maximum of six months or longer, which would mean he would be ineligible for the World Cup. And I just think Gatlin is trying to position it to say there's no chance of that there should be no chance of that happening so that he's definitely fresh for the World Cup
1: what he said is he met with uh, George North and his agent um, and he's publicly said now I'm hugely worried if I was being purely selfish I'd say George don't play in the last few games get yourself right for the World Cup Uh, he's been out for a considerable amount of time but it's one of those situations where he's a young player and if he picks up two or three more of those in the next year that's going to finish his career I see what you're saying He's just trying to wrap him in cotton wool for the World Cup, which if he was a New Zealand player, or if he was in the Welsh WRU dual contract, he wouldn't play. There'd be no question. Warren Gatlin would have the say and he'd go, nope, and it's, yeah, you're not
2: playing. You're quite right. But as it stands with his current position, it is obviously the f- first and foremost, it's safety. But assuming he's had a prolonged period of rest, which we know he has, and it's deemed that he's symptom free and all that, and they say he's, uh, he's fine to play, then he should go ahead and play.
1: Oh, let the boys play. See, I don't reckon JB would be saying that. I think JB would be saying, no, <laughs> no don't let no, him play. Don't let the boy play, don't whatever let, you do. Do not let the boy play. <laughs> uh, we'll see if he's selected. But uh, Warren Gatlin is saying his. And the other thing, just to I, I know we can't have a week go by where we don't mention uh, the situation that's happening with uh, Stefan Armitage, Nick Abenden and these players playing abroad that being considered, well, England internationals apparently would oppose the inclusion of overseas-based players for the World Cup. There's some off the, what's the word, off the record conversations that a journalist has had with England internationals and the players do not want outsiders to come in. Now, do you think this is like self preservation? Um, or do you think it's a principle? I, I, I don't know. I think part,
2: partly self preservation, partly principle, because um, they have built this kind of team ethic and this environment, which from all accounts is very good. Um, and very different to how it was leading into and during the last World Cup, which obviously, as we all saw, wasn't very good. But I, I think the rule is exceptional circumstances, and I, me personally, I don't think that should be form. I don't think at the moment either of those should be either of those two should be considered for inclusion. However, another injury, or if Mike Brown isn't fit, for example, or a couple of injuries in the back row, then that creates exceptional circumstances because you could say if your first two or three players who you would consider in that position aren't available, then you're going to be bringing someone from outside the squad anyway, whether it's England or France or wherever. So it's not going to make too much difference.
1: And finally, I've got a little, um, well, a couple of rounds of rugby social I want to play with you. So these rugby players who do love their Twitter, they do love... Getting on Twitter and, and and doing some stuff. This is some stuff I found online. Talked about the Air Lingus plane thing. That was going to be one of them, but Quade Cooper for Mother's Day, which was this weekend in Australia, just gone. Uh, Quade Cooper purchased his mum a what? Was it a Bentley? <laughs> Big contractor. Was so it <laughs> was it a penthouse apartment or was it a pool for her for her back garden? A Bentley, a pool, or a penthouse? I'm gonna say. Uh- I know he's
2: signed for big money for Toulon. The other two do seem a bit expensive. I'm going to say a pool.
1: It was. He bought his mum a Bentley. What? For Mother's Day. What? That's the Toulon dollar. God. A yeah. Bentley's
2: £150,000. Yeah. That's just for what a lot of premier play, premiership players earn a year. More than what a lot of premiership players earn a it's year. That's, that's
1: the average, I think. That's bonkers. And, um, wow. and what about this one? Craig Joubert... Is, or was, according to his Wikipedia page, a transvestite prostitute (laughs) involved in a dwarf-tossing controversy or was an international tennis player? Which of those is the case? Hmm. I think this is...
2: I think it's going to be something negative after he's made a bad decision or... I'll give you a bad decision against someone's team. I'm going to say transvestite.
1: No, no, transvestite prostitute. Transvestite (laughs)
2: prostitute, sorry. Sorry, Ernst.
1: (laughs) Not Ernst Joubert, it's Craig Joubert. Craig Joubert, sorry. (laughs) You're right. Craig Joubert's Wikipedia page uh, says he was, before he took up refereeing, he... Used to pull tricks as a transvestite prostitute. Um, <laughs> now, Wikipedia is quite often accurate, but um, I would just make maybe no comment. Not. Yeah, maybe not in that instance. That may well not be on Craig Bear's Wikipedia page if you go and have a look at it now. In fact, let me check it now. Let me just check. Yeah. if it's still there. If it's still there, it's probably true, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's now been changed. Uh, it's now been changed saying he went into corporate banking uh, for five years before taking up a refereeing on a full-time basis. It did say he then went in, into being a transvestite prostitute, a profession in which he spent five years before taking up refereeing on a full-time basis. Now, we don't actually know which one was the true one. No, we don't. Because it could be Craig
2: Joubert constantly updating it. People think it's it's incorrect and are changing it back to, say, banking, but Craig Joubert gets it. Infuriated and actually changed it back. No, I <laughs> don't believe people believe me.
1: <laughs> well, some would say that, um, but you'd have more shame being a banker than uh, than the other. So, some, anyway, some
2: people might. Yes, uh,
1: I, I suppose we should also mention the fact that the playoff final for the championship has now been decided. It was a spirited uh, Bristol made hard work, although it's a difficult place to go up to Rotherham. But uh, Bristol made it through to the final, and they will take on Worcester. Yes, it's Wednesday, the twentieth
2: of May, the first semi-final takes place because it's a two-legged affair. Uh, sorry, the first final t- takes place because it's a two-legged affair. But the the Bristol-Rotherham game, by all accounts, was a great game yeah. with Rotherham, after 50 minutes, leading uh, 16-6. Just as they were in the first match. In the first game, yes. I think there's something to say that Rotherham arguably have the strongest starting lineup, but Bristol, with all the, the money they have and the replacements they can bring in their squad depth has managed to, to Bristol, get them through.
1: Bristol have got the resources, the fitness people to to have a team be able to play 80 minutes. And
2: Yeah, yeah, what? a combination of the two. Mm.
1: Um, no, they, a, a lot's made of Bristol and wow, they're making all these big signings and they're going to walk up and they're going to be way better than London Welsh. I think obviously any team, Worcester or Bristol, will come up and be better than London Welsh. But I, looking at the Premiership and the team, I don't think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really, really hard still, even for Bristol and the players they brought in to bridge that gap.
2: I think you're right. It kind of has a feel. They have brought in some some youngsters, some talented players, and they've brought in, well, they've developed some of their own through their academy, but they have brought in kind of a few ageing players, um, your Peels, your Henson. Yeah, your Duke, how many Henson,
1: How many teams would Henson get into in the Premiership? Yeah. Starting and... Not many. He's kind of on and off for a couple of years at Nikki Bath. Nicky Robinson, Dwayne Peel. Well, Dwayne Peel might get in the odd team, but...
2: Yeah, Dwayne Peel is still a a good operator
1: but we will see how that one goes right in the meantime at rugby podcast get in touch with us on twitter as we build up to this all oh, the pro12 what's that? how's that how's that shaping up for the final weekend of domestic matches the top four all played each other didn't they
2: they did um and there's one point separating all four with ulster unfortunately in fourth but all the rest of them on 70 points level osprey's osprey's are top then glasgow then munster then ulster so like you say munster face dragons so that should be a 5 point win Osprey's travel to Connor isn't the easiest place to go. Ulster have to travel to Glasgow knowing they need to win by five points to have a chance to... Sorry, getting a home semi-final. That's a tough place to go. Glasgow are playing very well at the moment. Did lose to Ospreys to relinquish the lead in the league. So I would expect... Uh, yeah, maybe Glasgow to win. To,
1: top to, four to be to, separated by then. one point. The top three all on 70 points. That's amazing.
2: It is amazing. And it does show kind of at the top, in the top half of the league, it's very, very competitive. And and all those teams would be, well, certainly be competitive against anyone in the premiership and virtually anyone in the top 14. There is then a bit of a jump to the to the next group of teams. And then obviously you've got the two Italian teams at the bottom who mm. are... A little bit adrift, to say the least. But yeah, the, the quality at the top is
1: undeniable. JB will be back with us after his well to tell us all about his tales from Marbella. Let <laughs> the boys play, and he'll also be back to talk about rugby as well. Me and Phil at Rugby Podcast. Get in touch with us in the meantime. Nice one, Phil. Cheers, Sim. See you next time. Right, basically, you got to be like a midget in a urinal. You got to be on your toes.